We're continuing on in our series in the book of Colossians. So please turn with me uh, to Colossians chapter 1. I promise you this is our last week in chapter 1. Are you guys excited about that? I know that Daryl is. So we're going to be focusing on 1, uh, 24 uh, to chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 5. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us one more time just to prepare our hearts uh, as we get into the message this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts this morning. God, that you would um, help us to see the truths of your scripture. Lord, as we look at the way that uh, your word and your son have, have transformed our hearts and the way that affects us as a church, Lord, we pray that you would, you would help us to see those things and to live in light of those. Uh, Lord, most of all, we pray for transformed hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the word of the Lord says this. It says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you, the Word of God, in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may, be, may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The early church is marked uh, by men and women who went to great lengths to proclaim the truth of the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. Radical transformation of people's lives is, is evident all throughout the New Testament and recorded in, in early church history. These men and women had been changed. Paul's conversion experience is, is detailed in the book of Acts chapter 22. We're going to read that real quick because it's an awesome illustration for us this morning. Uh, Acts 22, 3 to 16 says this. Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of, of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, that is Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and, and all the council king themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them and to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. 
This is the account of Paul's transformation. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. We know that this man Saul, who did he become? What was his name? Paul. Paul's life is evidence of what Jesus can do to a person. Changing them in an instant, the blink of an eye, in such a way that they are willing to do anything that God has called them to. His life was not one of ease. He spent many years in prison. It was not one of comfort, but rather... He was on mission for God the moment that he was, he was saved. And he gave everything, being subjected to suffering, imprisonment, and ultimately gave his life for the cause of Christ. Paul's radical transformation is one that should, should inspire us all personally. Why? Because God saved a murderer and made him the greatest missionary that has ever walked the face of the earth. And Paul led his churches both in suffering for them, and also in the midst of his suffering, encouraging his churches to hold fast to the distinct marks of the true church. Paul, in the midst of his suffering, wrote letters to his churches instructing them. Instructing them on how to live. And we get a glimpse of that this morning in this passage as we see what the marks are of the true church. What are the marks of, of a true church that follows Christ? What does that look like in the church? What has God called us to be? Our first mark, the mark of a true church, we find from, from Paul's first verse here in our passage this morning, it's a people that identify with the suffering of Christ. Our first mark of a true church is a people that identify with the suffering of Christ. Paul says this, Now I rejoice, not wallow in my self-pity, but now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of what? His body, which is the church a people that identify with the suffering of Christ are 
are a people that are a mark of the true church. There's an interesting phrase in here I want to call your attention to in this, this first verse that we're looking at. Did anyone catch what Paul says? He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. That's a startling statement, isn't it? Don't you think? Did anybody get caught off guard by that when he says that? I want to be very clear this morning. Paul is not talking about adding to Jesus' suffering anything that is of redemptive value. There's nothing missing from the suffering of Christ is what I'm saying in regard to the redemption of sinners. I hate it when this thing doesn't turn the page. <laughs> what Paul is, is referring to is the unity of the believer with Jesus in suffering. In other words, we can expect to suffer when we follow Christ. Christ's suffering didn't lack anything. He fulfilled everything that he was supposed to do. He has done enough to redeem people. Paul did not add anything to that. But what Paul is referring to is our unity with Jesus in suffering. And that we can expect to suffer when we follow Jesus. And here's the thing that was lacking. Jesus was, at that time, during the, the Colossian church, and presently, he was not bodily present with us, was he? We, don't, we can't see and touch and feel Jesus right in front of us, can we? He's not bodily present with us. What is present with us now? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus was and is no longer bodily present with his people. And we can't look around and see, see Jesus physically. What was lacking was his physical presence among them which was now represented by who? What was Christ's physical presence? The church. How are we Christ's physical presence? Because we have the Spirit of God living within us. We are now the physical presence of Christ in our community. Unified with Him through suffering. Our Christian suffering unifies us with our Savior. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says this, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. Why? Because Jesus knows the suffering that we went through because He's gone through it Himself. We're unified with Christ in the midst of the troubles that we face in life. Now, you may be asking this question, Keith, we don't suffer much here in America for our faith. We're not being outwardly persecuted. We're not seeing our Christian brothers and sisters right here in our community be put to death for their, for their faith, which was what was going on at the time of the early church when, when Paul wrote this letter. As a matter of fact, at this time, he was in prison writing this letter, why was he in prison? Not because he held up some liquor store down the street and ripped off all their money. He was in prison because he was proclaiming the gospel and they told him to stop and he said, no. I will not stop. I will always proclaim Christ. So what about us? How do we relate to a passage that talks about suffering? Suffering. You see, we may not suffer 
physical persecution, but we suffer in different ways. Are you grieved by personal sin? Are you grieved by sin in your life? You see, people who aren't saved, they're not grieved by sin. They're grieved by the consequences of sin. They just don't want to get caught. Followers of Christ are grieved when they sin because they have the Holy Spirit of God living in them, rubbing against them, and saying, no more. Conviction. They have conviction. And in a sense, this is a a form of of suffering. It's positive suffering because it's sanctifying us. What do I mean when I say sanctify? It means we're being made made more and more in the image of Christ, more we grow in Christ's likeness. But we do have this, this rubbing against that we didn't have when we weren't saved in Christ. We suffer as Christians being burdened by our Christian responsibilities. What are some of those responsibilities? Seeing injustice in our society. We should be alarmed by injustice in our society. We should be alarmed as followers of Christ that millions of unborn children aren't given the chance at life. We should be grieved by that. Is it not a form of suffering to look at our society that allows people to to put to death an innocent child? And let's call it what it is in the name of convenience. It's just inconvenient for me to have this child, so let's just do away with it. As followers of Christ, we should be suffering along in that. To see that going on in our society, that should grieve us. We suffer as as we see people that we we love, our friends and family, choose to reject Jesus time and time again. Doesn't that hurt? When you've shared the truth with somebody, when you know they're longing for peace and joy, and yet they reject their Savior time and time and time again. A great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, is said to have had this severe depression because of the grief of thinking about people dying and going to hell. And he would weep and he was burdened with that. We suffer as we pray for those around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. As we read the news week in and week out of Christians in foreign countries being put to death for being followers of Christ. We suffer along with them as we, as we pray for them. If you're anything like me, struggling to see how God works in all of that. Does anybody else do that? Why, God? Why do you allow this to happen? But yet, in Scripture, we see time and time again when God's people were oppressed, when God's people were put down by the world, what happened? They exploded in growth. The beginning of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh tries time and time and time again to hold down God's people, and what happens? They grow and they can't control them. And the beauty of suffering is this. 
as crazy as this sounds, we get to rejoice in it because it unites us with Christ. We are assured of our faith when we have that suffering against sin. We're assured of our faith in Christ when we are grieved by friends and family who don't know and love Christ. We are assured of our faith in in Christ when we are grieved by, by Christians being put to death for their faith around the world. Someone who's unsaved, they don't really care about that stuff. Followers of Christ, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're suffering alongside those people. Maybe not physically, but our spirit is grieved. And so we should rejoice in that because we know that we have Jesus. We're united with Him. And here's the beauty of of the big picture of suffering. Our present suffering is a sign that the, the present age is passing away and that Christ will one day return in victory, making all things new. Christian suffering is a mark that the old is fading away and God is, is ushering in His kingdom and newness in creation. And the beauty of it is, is that we can look ahead, we can look to the future, and we know that there's going to be a day where there's a line drawn in the sand and Christ's return in victory, making all things new. Suffering gives us hope in knowing that God is ushering that in. Number two, the mark of a true church, a people that proclaim the Word. A people that proclaim the Word. What do I mean by the Word? I mean the Bible, and then also we see Jesus Christ being called, right? The Word. We proclaim Christ. Paul says this, I've become its servant. The its he's referring to, if we go into the last verse, is the church. I've become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to what? To present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The true church is marked by a people that proclaim the Word. There's nothing else. Paul had direct responsibility in influencing lives within this church. The beauty of this letter, the beauty of this letter is that Paul didn't start this church A person that had been likely saved under his preaching had gone back to his hometown Colossae and started this church. But we see Paul's personal connection investing in this church and writing this letter. That man's name was Epaphras. He had planted the church and he led the church. Paul held Epaphras in high regard. So much so that he listened to Epaphras' report of the church in Colossae and penned this letter. A mark of a true church is one that proclaims the Word of God in its fullness. Nothing less. The Word of God in its fullness. Even the passages we don't like to read. There's some stuff in here that I read and it rubs against me. It's hard. If we're honest. Even those things the church must preach. The Word of God in its fullness. The whole counsel of God is inspired and useful for teaching. Paul declared this to his disciple Timothy. The church must be rooted in Scripture. 
The church must be rooted in Scripture. Does this mean we can't learn from other sources? No way. Dig in. Listen to podcasts. Read books. Learn from your fellow brother or sister in Christ. But the the foundation of the church must be this. A robust and steady diet of God's Word in all its fullness. The whole thing. Even the things that you don't necessarily agree with. Even the things that rub you the wrong way. It's there for a reason. A people that proclaim the Word. Another mark of the true church. A people that break through cultural, economic, and ethnic barriers. A people that break through cultural, economic, and ethnic barriers. Listen to this language in in verse 26 and 27. Paul says this, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see a period of time in in the Old Testament where God's people were who? The Israelites. But then through Jesus Christ and His life, we see God's full redemptive plan come to light as everybody's invited into the kingdom. We see it in types and shadows all throughout the Old Testament when you see someone like Rahab the prostitute being brought into the family. We see it in the, in the father of our faith, Abraham, who was a pagan just wandering around. And as such, we should be a people that are breaking through barriers. There is nothing that, that anybody has done or is that can keep them from the love of Christ. Paul, a murderer of Christians, was saved. We must be a people that breaks through cultural, economic, and ethnic barriers. Okay? Black, white, brown, yellow, whatever color you can come up with, they all can be reconciled to Christ. The Bible tells us that we were, we were engrafted branches. He's brought us into the family We should be constantly striving, church, to reach deep into the injustices of our society to show the love of Christ. I want to be clear, I'm not preaching a social gospel. Your your social things that you do do does not save you. Only the gospel saves you. But the gospel saves us in a way and transforms us that we should be disgusted against injustices in our society. And because we've been transformed, we should stand up and say, that's wrong. Racism is wrong. Oppression is wrong. The murdering of unborn children is wrong. We have to stand against these things. And our church should be a picture of of all of these groups of people coming together. Poor, middle class, rich, coming together to bring glory to God because God has unified us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's something crazy, I'll just say it. God brought a Mexican guy from California, (laughs) me. If you didn't know, Rodriguez is a Mexican last name. 
all the way across the country to preach to you guys. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. That He breaks through regional barriers and cultural barriers and economic barriers and racial barriers and says, you're the body of Christ. Be diverse. The beauty of this too is that diversity in and of itself is beautiful. God created us all the way that we are. All of us have different outward appearances. Different skin tones. It's just a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people say, I don't see color. I see color, and it's beautiful. You want to know why? Because God created them that way. I saw the beauty last night. I was hanging with a a couple who just adopted two kids from Africa. The beauty of, of a white family with two black African children. The body of Christ at work, breaking through, breaking through where society says, no, you can't do that. The church breaks through those things. Says, yes, we can. You want to know why? Because we have the power of God behind us. We have the power of Jesus Christ behind us. We have the model of Paul, a Jew, going to the Gentiles. Thank God, because none of us would be sitting here. And preaching the gospel. Do you know how radical this was when he was going from town to town and preaching? That he could go to people and say, your economic status, your social status doesn't matter. God loves you and he wants you to reign with him. He wants you to be in his family. It's unreal. Their society wasn't like ours where you could seemingly work hard and work your way up through classes. They were stuck. They couldn't go anywhere. And that someone would come to them and say, the Savior of the universe, the God that reigns on His throne, the, person, the God that spoke everything into existence wants to have a relationship with you and wants to adopt you into His family and He doesn't care how rich you are or how poor you are or what you look like. He wants your heart it's beautiful. And a mark of a true church is, is one that is going to be transformed by the gospel in such a way that we see the, the beauty of diversity and we embrace it. Come in. Come into our doors. We don't care what class you came from. We don't care what race you are. We don't care what you did in your past. Today's a new day, and Jesus wants your heart. Come in and be part of our family. A people that break through cultural, economic, and ethnic barriers. I heard this, this illustration. Uh, pastor Eric Mason, he's, he's a pastor in Philadelphia. A few years ago, the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. You guys remember that? The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. I heard him, him preach on this before. He said, as a, as a part of that culture there in Philadelphia, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, it's a very diverse culture. And everybody sticks to their own zone, right? You have, the races are all kind of segregated. They have their own little neighborhoods that they stick to. But he said on that day, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, 
They all put on a uniform. That ugly green Eagles uniform, right? (laughs) They all put on that uniform. Whose name did it have on the back? All the players from the team. The Eagles. And all these people went out into the community and they paraded in the streets declaring victory, not because of anything that they had done, but because they were part of the winning team. All wearing the same uniform. And I thought that was a beautiful picture of the church. We go out into the streets declaring victory, not because of anything we've done, but because we're wearing the uniform of Jesus Christ, His righteousness that He has given to us, and we can stand in victory and say, hey, it's His work that has brought me into this family, and I declare it loudly, and I want you to come be a part of it. We wear the uniform of Jesus Christ, transformed and covered by Him, going out and celebrating each and every day and holding our heads high and saying, I'm on the winning team. The beauty of Jesus is that His team wins every year. His team wins everything because we know the ending to the story. I always say this, God wins the end. You're on that team. Another mark of the true church Number four, a people that proclaim that Jesus is Lord. A people that proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Verse 28, he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's Paul's emphasis there? Is anybody left behind? Is anybody left out? What does everyone mean? Everyone. Everyone. Proclaiming that that Jesus is Lord over everyone that is in the church. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. He controls everything. We asked this question a few weeks ago. Have you relinquished control to Him? Have you handed it over to Him? Or do you keep gripping on to things in your life? Like, Jesus, I'm not ready to let go of this thing yet. We want to be a people that proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Are we as a church doing this? Are we willing to trust God even in the crazy things He's called us to do? Are we willing to say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life when you want me to feel uncomfortable? And church, if I'm honest, I struggle with this. I like comfort. I like control. I like all my ducks in a row. God doesn't work that way. From our human perspective, things kind of get messy, right? But in God's economy, His, His plan is perfect. We may think it's messy. We may think it doesn't make sense. But it's perfect because it brings glory to Him. Are we a people that proclaim that Jesus is Lord? Number five, mark of a true church, a people that are completely focused on the gospel. A people that are completely focused on the gospel. Paul says this, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me at people completely focused on the work of the gospel. 
Are you strenuously contending to hold on to Christ? I urge you, day in and day out of your life, immerse yourself in the Gospel. Immerse yourself in knowing that you were an enemy of God and God loved you so much that He sent His Son to live the perfect life to fulfill everything that we couldn't do. And He was nailed to a cross and He sacrificed Himself for you because He loves you. And He defeated the the curse of sin, which is death, by resurrecting on the third day bodily. And there was witnesses of that. And the reason that that the church exists is because of one, the grace of God, but also men and women were radically transformed because they saw the resurrected Christ and they went out and they were on mission for Him. Are we focused on the Gospel? Are we focused on the fact that we have a Savior that said, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to raise again. And I'm going to defeat death. And so you can have hope that you will have eternal life because I was the first one to do it. And every gift that I have, I hand to you because you're my family. Are we focused on the gospel? Are we strenuously contending with that message in our life? Are we striving to be presented fully mature? This is Paul speaking to the church. Do we have people speaking into our lives that are pushing us to maturity in Christ? Paul was focused on the Gospel and it's clear that this church was focused on the Gospel. Don't abandon the meat of the Scripture. It is the Gospel. The whole trajectory of Scripture is Christ. When the apostles talk about teaching the Word, they're talking about preaching Christ from where? The Old Testament. Because it all points to Him. We miss that sometimes. Those were the Scriptures they had. They preached Christ from the Old Testament. They saw Him all throughout it. Are we focused on the Gospel in that way? Are we, when we read the Old Testament, are we seeing Christ in types and shadows all over the place? God's redemptive plan being unveiled. Don't abandon the Gospel. Your self-help book can't help you. Only Jesus can. Your self-righteousness can't save you. Only Jesus' righteousness can. The false gods in your life You're like, Keith, I don't have little statues and stuff that I worship, but you have false gods in your life. We struggle with worshiping our pocketbook. We struggle with worshiping money. We struggle with worshiping our families. An idol is anything that that takes the place of God. John Calvin says our hearts are idol factories. What is that telling us? We have to be completely focused on the gospel constantly, day in and day out, to fight against that idol factory and have our hearts brought to maturity in Christ. The mark of a true church is a people that are focused on the gospel. 
Preach it to yourself daily. Number six, a people that are both transformed in heart and mind. A people that are transformed in heart and mind. Paul says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of what? Of complete understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We see heart and mind being pulled out of that passage. Paul's desire for his church, and I would say the mark of a true church, is a people that are being transformed in their heart and their mind constantly. How do we transform our hearts? Do you love Jesus more? When you read Scripture, do you love Jesus more? When you fall on your face in sin and Jesus comes and He puts His hand out and He picks you off the ground, do you love Him more? When you're struggling and you're hurting, but you have this weird sense of peace in your life, do you love Jesus more? Because He gave you that. Our hearts are transformed in in being encouraging to each other. So our heart is not just transformed to be personally grateful, but transformed in a way that we're encouraging others and we're unified with others. That's the mark of a true church is love. Loving each other. I would say that's our heart and our mind. It doesn't just stop there. We see people that have the heart thing dialed. They love people. They serve people. But man, theologically, they're a mess. They don't understand it. It's both. We should be striving for both. That our hearts would be transformed and that our minds would be transformed. That we are invested in learning about God and who He is because it's going to pay dividends in transforming our hearts. A deeper knowledge of God is going to cause you to fall more and more in love with Him. And out of that, your actions are transformed and things are changing. Because the more your heart loves God, the more you want to learn about Him. The more you want to learn about Him, the more your actions and your heart changes. I love the way uh, the ESV renders this passage. It says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? Being knit together in love. You get this idea of the stitches coming together. Drawing people in, knit together in love. It's a mark of a true church that our, our hearts and our minds would be transformed and we would be continually knit together in love. Number seven, mark of a true church. A people that continue to hold to the truth and treasure of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A people that continue to hold to the truth and treasure of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verses 4 and 5, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm 
your faith is in Christ. You see, this church, Paul had received an update that this church was facing false teaching. We gather from this letter that the false teaching was that Jesus wasn't enough for salvation. They needed something else. And Paul says this, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I tell you that suffering unites you with Christ so that no one can deceive you. I, I tell you to focus on the gospel so that no one can deceive you. I tell you that Jesus is Lord of your life so that no one can deceive you. I tell you to grow in heart and mind so that no one can deceive you. You see how all this works together? Because the world wants to pull you out of this place and it wants to lie to you and it wants to say that we have a better way but Jesus Christ is the only way. We have to hold to the truth. We have to be a people that continue to hold to the truth and treasure of Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing Him but in our hearts it's falling in love with Him deeply, day in and day out. Declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not many ways to heaven, but one way. Salvation through faith in Jesus alone. Hold to the truth. Don't be swayed by the world. Don't be swayed by the slick Christian teaching that's on the radios or on TV. Teachers that want you to just sit there on your couch at home and eat Cheetos and watch them tell you how great you are. And we'll tell you how great you are even more if you send us a little bit of money. You have to be a part of a church that's rooted in Scripture. Don't be swayed. Jesus is the only way. And the beauty of this is that we get to to hold on to this truth and treasure through, through many different things that we do here at North Bullet Christian Church. We get to sing. We get to sing the truth and we get to have our hearts stirred. Was anybody stirred this morning by that, the songs? I was. Luckily, we had that goofy video that kind of helped me wipe off my tears. I was stirred. It's a means of grace that God has given us. We should be stirred as, as we respond this morning. Another means of grace is that we get to commune with Jesus. We get to be confronted with His body and His, His blood in the Lord's Supper. It's why we have it here so that we can sing and so that our hearts can be stirred and so that we can learn from His Word and then at the end we can come forward and we can respond to who Jesus is and what He has done. We can hear the Word proclaimed and we can look in our hearts and say, God, how do I not measure up? Help me to measure up. And where I don't measure up, Lord, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy that covers that. That we can be we can come to the table and, and we can receive this, this bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us. We can come forward with repentant hearts and we can remember His, his blood that was spilt as, as an atonement for us covering our sin. And we, we can commune with God right there. 
We can remember Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. We need to, again, see His grace in, in singing and proclaiming. And lastly, we get to see His grace in being able to give back as we receive an offering this morning. And so I want to invite you this morning as, as we draw to a close, as, as you reflect and you think about how, how God is working in this church and how God is, is working in your life, that you would look deep within and, and pray to God to just continue to transform you. Continue to give me a heart that loves you. Continue to, to give me a mind that wants to learn more about you. And as you come forward to the table or you go back to the back station, remember Jesus. Remember what He's done. Remember His grace that has covered those things. And the beauty of His grace is that it should drive us to be gracious as we investigate relationships in our life that may be broken or hurting. As we come to the table, forgive those people. Seek them out. Reconcile. If you're in this room and, and you would say, I don't know who Christ is. I don't know what this church thing is. There's something stirring within you this morning because you've heard about Jesus and what He's done for you. And the beauty of it is that He loves you and He wants you to come to the table too. That's all you have to do is right where you're at, pray to Him. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to the table and, and receive the Lord's Supper. There'll be leaders from our church standing off to the side. They would love to pray for you this morning. If you've made that decision, go to one of those men let them know what you've done and they will, help, they will pray with you and walk through what that means to follow Christ. I would ask too, if you're in this room and you're hurting and you need someone to pray for you, come to those men. They want to pray for you. We want to be a church that carries each other's burdens. And then during the last song, we'll, we'll receive an offering. It's a way that, that we show God that we are so thankful for the blessings that He's given us and it's the way that we carry out our mission here at North Bullet Christian Church. Remember what Jesus has done. Hold, true, hold to the truth and treasure of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, we love You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word and we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our hearts as we prepare to come forward to Receive the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you would continually help us to be people that are transformed. Help us to flee from shame because we know that you love us. And you've proved your love for us because you sent your Son. God, he left his throne in heaven and came and took on flesh and lived the life that we couldn't live. Help us to remember that each and every day of our lives. And especially as we come to the table this morning. Help us to remember your, your sacrifice on the cross through the bread that represents your body that was broken for us and as we receive the juice that represents the blood that covers us. Lord, that we are on the same team, the body of Christ. I pray for the hearts in this room that, that may not know you as, as you stir within them that they would give their heart over to you. That they could find true peace and joy this morning. They could find everlasting life. They could find a father that loves them. They could be adopted into the family of Christ. 
And Lord, prepare our hearts this morning as we give to you. We give back to your mission. God, give us hearts of of joy and cheerfulness that you have richly blessed us and we we can give back to you. And Lord, as we sing, let us be thankful for our family right here in this room. That we can bear each other's burdens. That we can be continually knit together in your love. And we're thankful that you have made that possible through your death on the cross. And we declare your resurrection. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things through the power of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.